You know, as Christians, we normally say we don't have any regrets in life. There's only one regret. I told him what I told him the other day. But Pastor James needs to remember I, I'm the one that signs his checks, so... <laughs> need to keep that in mind, James. So be careful tonight. <clears throat> I, I'm really more concerned, more than anything, really, that, that we get together tonight just to worship Jesus. Because that, to me, is the most important thing. That we get together because of Him because of all that he's done and the things that he continues to do and uh, all the other stuff is incidental Pastor Bob uh, uh, James I think mentioned uh, uh, Calvary Chapel Las Cruces and and so he'll be down here with us it's always a joy to have him here because 30 years ago as James was saying it's actually about 31 or 31 and a half years ago because he started the Bible studies done in this area around that time, about 1982, 83. But um, he was very instrumental in getting us going and and, uh, uh, connecting us, of course, to Calvary Chapel Ministry. So we're we're very blessed. And and to me, that's that's very special uh, to to have him here for for this 30th year. And uh, we hope that you all can make it as well. I'll I'll go ahead and tell you what I told the other uh, other congregation first service is that... uh, and last night, that you need, you know, after this service, don't don't eat too much, you know, you just eat a little snack, whatever, and then come back about 4:30, have an early dinner with us, and enjoy the fellowship because, uh, you know, it's, it's a reminder of what what we read in the book of Acts about the church when it first started. You know that they loved they loved each other so much that they spent a lot of time together, breaking bread together, and and uh, having communion together, and praying, and and studying the Word of God as well. So. You know, these are very special times. Now, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to say it in offense to anyone. So here's the thing. Sometimes, you know, you hear this little birdie might go by and say, Oh, listen, you guys don't, you guys don't sing enough songs during the, the, the worship services and all. Well, okay, if we don't, then come tonight, because that's all we're going to do. So I always wonder if, if the people that always are saying, We don't sing enough, come on a, on a Sunday night. So now, you see, the onus is not on me anymore, it's on you. So... If you say that, you need to come. See, I don't know who it is that says that kind of stuff. But it's, it's a wonderful time. We have the worship team from Calvary on the, on the west side coming over, and, and Pastor Bob will be here. So it's, it's going to be a wonderful time. So, all right. All right, enough about all of that. <clears throat> Let's turn, if you will, to the book of Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. I think there's going to be some tremendous celebration in maybe a few months when no longer will I say turn to the book of Genesis, I'll say turn to another book. And for those who may not know this, uh, by the way, is there somebody up in the sound room that can take care of this little ring? It's, it's just a little annoying to have that. All right. Oh, there he is. Okay. Thank you. I think it's when I get over here, see, then I get a little bit of the feedback from up there. But it's not my fault, okay? All right. But I just, because I like to stand here, because I like to look at you, because I can't see, I'm getting old, you know? No 60 candles, because it's a fire hazard. Pastor James didn't say that, but that's what it is. All right. 
So we've been studying the life of Jacob and, and, uh, and we've been dealing with this confrontation that he's had with Laban, his father-in-law, his uncle, who is now his father-in-law. And uh, there's been a tremendous contrast that we've seen in these two lives. And these are important contrasts because you see, Laban is a type of the world. And Jacob is a type of every believer who begins with the struggles of life, sometimes dealing with certain deceptions as he, as his own name uh, means, you know, a conniver and a, a thief. <laughs> but he's learned a lot. And one who begins to trust in God will eventually grow. But one who stays in the world, one who trusts in his own gods and not in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, never really grows. In effect, stays the same. And there's never anything good about that. Even the scriptures teach us that, that we need to be growing, abounding more and more, Paul uses the term, abounding more and more in grace, abounding more and more in the love of God and in the love of Christ, abounding more and more in the knowledge of God's Word. The book of Hebrews has, has this section that, that deals with the fact that, that the church at the time, was they were remaining as children just tied to that milk of the word and, and not being able to move on into the meat of the word and he, he said we got to deal with that first so the Christian life is a life of growth if you can tell from the title if you can read the title confronting suspicions shaping character the very things that we struggle with in life are the very things that God has allowed to affect our life so that it can shape our character into the image of Jesus Christ as we shall see in this particular study. Now here we are in the uh, in the mountains of Gilead. As Jacob has tried to take his family home and Laban is angry because they didn't say goodbye to him but more than anything, he was angry because somebody had stolen his idols, his household idols, and we know who it was. It was Rachel. And he catches up with, with Jacob and, and, his, and his caravan. But God spoke to Laban in a dream and he said, You don't touch Jacob. In fact, what he told him was, Say neither say nothing either good or bad to him. In other words, you don't touch him, he's mine. Laban, in a way, tries to say something and he doesn't say anything good. But he doesn't touch Jacob. Well, he could have. So we, we continue on in this, in this particular drama that has been taking place, this this confrontation. Jacob has had enough of Laban. We go back to verse 41 for just a moment because I want to start there. This is a statement that Jacob is making to Laban so you'll just kind of have it set up for you. Thus, I, I've been in your house 20 years. 
Jacob said, I've had enough. Listen, I've been in your house 20 years. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. And really never for the better. And unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Jacob makes it very clear to Laban. If it had been up to you, you would have come to kill me. I would have left with nothing. Then I'd be dead. And my wives and my children would have be back in your, in your house. And the flocks that you've given me, you'd have them. I'd, I'd have ended up with nothing. Laban knew that this was true, but notice what happens in verse 43. Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. You know, when you can't answer the charges, you take another road. And he says, But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born, as if they never belonged to Jacob in the first place? You know what in effect he is saying here? He is saying to Jacob, listen, I could take it all away because it's all mine, but you know, out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to go ahead and let you have them. That's pretty much what he's saying. And then he says, now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Now notice that it is Laban who is saying this. Let's make a covenant, an agreement, a treaty. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Now remember, this is Jacob doing this. He takes a stone, a very large stone, has to be to, to even appear to be like a pillar. And he sets this pillar. And then, and then he said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. So there were two pillars in essence. One made of a single stone, another made of many stones. And Laban called it Jagar Sahaduta, but Jacob called it Galid. Galid is, a, is, is two Hebrew words combined to make one that means heap of witness. A heap of witness. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. In other words, like a watchtower. And therefore its name was called Galid, also Mitzpah. Now the word mitzvah means to watch, and it is the root word for a watchtower. So that's what that pillar becomes. And he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. Now I must interject here very quickly, but we'll come back to it later. Laban is not trying to be sentimental with Jacob. He's not trying to be lovey-dovey. You'll see why I say that in a moment. Because verse 50, he says, if you connect the idea, if you connect the context, it says, if you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. God is the witness. So that's an interesting conversation. No, it's an interesting confrontation. Now, 
I'm sure it is safe for me to say that none of us likes confrontation. None of us likes confrontation. It is something that, it isn't something that we wake up in the morning excited and ready to, to do with some feeling of joy or anticipation. I mean, we don't get up in the morning and say, man, I got to go and confront these people. I'm excited about it. I can't wait, man, just to get in their face, you know. Ah. We don't like to do it. We don't like confrontation. And we don't rejoice in having to do it sometimes. We don't live for it, per se. Though we, know, <clears throat> though we know that in the course of our day, it is something that might possibly take place, hopefully with good results. Take, for example, as parents, sometimes you have to confront your children about certain things that they're doing or not doing. It's not what you enjoy doing, but you have to do it, and you hope that they will understand from it and learn from it, and then you've accomplished something good from that particular con- confrontation. But for the most part, that's not what confrontation is all about, is it? Then again, we'd rather not be the initiators of confrontation, but at times it may need to happen for the sake of establishing some limitation, some ground rule, some parameter, some boundary that another person may need to understand exists. And we don't certainly often appreciate being confronted especially with some misunderstood anger from a person who seems to have had their boundaries violated. So now, I'm sure we would all agree that from all that I've just said about confrontation, I'm sure that we would all agree that confrontation exists simply because we're sinners and simply because of sin. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth, and went through the process of all of creation on the sixth day, He created man. And He created man, and it was a good thing. There was no sin. And then out of the sight of man, He created woman, and of course the two then were to be joined as partners, as one. And there was no confrontation. There were visits by God, there were conversations with God. But no conversation, or no confrontation. There was a moment when God said to Adam and Eve, of all of the trees in this garden in which I've put you, you can have the fruit of any of those trees except for one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely begin to die. You will die immediately, spiritually, but you will die eventually, physically. Therefore, before Genesis chapter 3, there was no confrontation, there was no sin, and there was no death. But think about the first confrontation in the Scriptures. The first confrontation in the Scriptures between a serpent, that we know is certainly possessed by Satan and the first woman whom we call Eve. That was not a conversation, by the way, in Genesis chapter 3. That was a confrontation. Because the confrontation was about God's truth and about God's character. Did God really say that? 
Did God really say that for you not to eat because on the day that you eat of that tree, you will die? Did he really say that? He's not going, he's not going to kill you. He just doesn't want you to be like him in essence. To know good and evil. But if you eat of that fruit, you'll be just like him. By the way, what is that? That's the lie of the new age, isn't it? You can be like God. You can be a God. Satan, in effect, confronted Eve about God's word. About God's character. And in effect, he brought sin into the world that way. Creating doubt in the heart and the mind of man who was made in the image of God. And he caused man to sin and to disobey God. And the enemy has been doing that ever since. Ever since then, there is confrontation all because of sin. But for whatever it's worth, the Lord was not stumped. When this drama began to occur there in Genesis chapter 3. On the contrary, he was well aware of the devices of Satan. And and he is well aware of man's sinful nature to this day. And he made it clear that there would be one solution to this problem of sin. Brought about by that fateful confrontation. The solution was the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. Who eventually... We'll go to the cross. In Genesis 3.14, he says, So the Lord said to the serpent, Notice, he said to the enemy, he said to the confronter, he said to the one who is today, the one who challenges us, who accuses us before God. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity. The word enmity means hostility. I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Her seed being the singular seed that would eventually become Jesus. Even though Jesus is eternal, He would come through the seed of the woman. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel speaking of the cross speaking of the cross and the suffering that Jesus took for us on that cross the solution to the great confrontations of this life for each and every one of us is the cross of Jesus Christ it is the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins It is the person of Jesus who died and was buried and he rose again on the third day, who is alive today. He is the solution to all confrontation. Because he is the solution to sin. And it is to Jesus Christ that we must come when dealing with all of these issues. It is to Jesus Christ that we need to come and say, Lord, I'm heavy laden, I'm burdened. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 11, verse 28? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus is saying, 
you're struggling through these confrontations in life, then come to me. I'm the only solution. I'm the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are we getting the picture? The solution for all of men's troubles and sins. So where we stand today, folks, where we stand on this spiritual confrontation with the world and the flesh and the devil is to some degree where Jacob and Laban stand in our account today. Laban, having become extremely upset and angered over Jacob, leaving his, pres- his, his presence without warning. Not to mention that he is made aware that his household idols were missing. He pursues Jacob and his family tirelessly and with violent intent. I am convinced that had he caught up without the dream that he received from the Lord, that he would have just killed Jacob and taken everything else back. And everyone else back. (laughs) That is until the Lord did speak to him in this dream and told him in effect not to touch Jacob or to speak to him, either good or bad, which he does anyway, as we saw last time. But after searching Jacob's camp and searching Jacob's people for his household idols and not finding them, Jacob could hold his peace no longer. And he pointed out to Laban the many injustices that he had suffered and and the hardships that he had endured to serve his father-in-law and to meet all of his demands. He boldly confronted Laban with the many instances of unfair treatment that he had suffered at his hands. And he concluded by giving God the glory for his successes in Haran. In verse 42, he gave God the glory for all of his successes. If it had not been for the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, you would have had your way and I would have nothing. That was always Laban's intent and Laban knew it and he knew that there was no answer to his charges. But look at Jacob for just a moment because you see everything had been against Jacob but God made the difference in his life. Everything had been against Jacob in this whole situation but God made the difference. Folks, there are a lot of things that we go through in this life, things that we don't understand sometimes, things that we, we wish we could, we, we, we would wonder, why are they happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? We start sounding like Job, you know. We say, why, Lord, why? Why are these things happening? And God is saying, if you'll just listen, if you'll wait upon me, if you'll hear from me, if you'll, if you'll just let me speak to you, I will make the difference in your life. And too often we are trying to solve these problems ourselves, solve them with our own words, solve them with our own emotions, and we say things that we shouldn't say, and we do things we shouldn't do, and God says, but if you let me, I will make the difference in your life. Am I speaking truth here? Because all of us have gone through this. It's not one person in this whole building that isn't going through something. That isn't going through something. But if we will just trust the Lord, He will make the difference. The cross made a difference. Amen? The cross made a difference. Without that, we have no hope. The blood of Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. The resurrection of Jesus 
Did it not make a difference for us? As I said, Laban had nothing to say to Jacob's charges. He, he knew he was guilty as charged. He knew all too well how much he really owed to Jacob, but had no intention. Listen, he had no intention of owning up to the wrong that he had done and, and, and caused. And isn't that the way of the world today? The world of flesh and the devil? The world of flesh and the devil do nothing to own up to what it does to us as believers in Jesus Christ. It does nothing to own up to it. So what is that saying about Laban? Laban being a type of the world. Because what does Laban do? He can't answer to that charge. Instead, he becomes the bully again. Remember last week we said that Jacob, uh, I mean Laban was a bully? I could have killed you, but your God told me not to. He becomes a bully again, and he weighs. He, he looks over at, at Jacob and his family and his wives, which are his daughters, uh, Laban's daughters, and he, and he kind of puts his hand and he weighs his hand over all of that. He says, my daughters, they're, they're, you know, they're my daughters. My, uh, you're, they're children. He doesn't even give Jacob the credit for them. The flocks, they're all mine. They're all mine. Yes, you heard it here first. (laughs) All that Jacob has is really Laban's. You heard it here first. Is that true? (laughs) But out of the kindness of Laban's heart, he has given it all to Jacob. Is that true? It's not true, is it? I mean, that sounds so good. I mean, Laban's a good talker, man. What a nice touch, too. It's all mine, but out of the counties of my heart. It's a lie. Jacob worked for it. Jacob worked honestly. Jacob worked industriously. Jacob put time in for Laban for 20 years, but God blessed Jacob. God blessed Jacob. Anybody blessed here today because of God? Because of the Lord? Oh, okay, so, like, you didn't do it? I mean, you do work and you do things because, you know, the Lord's given you the wherewithal to do it. But when it comes right down to it, isn't it the Lord that has provided? Yeah? (laughs) All right. But you see... Jacob worked for it. God blessed him. And if Laban had anything to do with it, Jacob would have nothing. Jacob would have nothing. Brought to mind a couple of things. It brought to mind when Jesus was being tempted 40 days and 40 nights before his earthly ministry. You know, Satan would tell him, you know, Jesus, if you're hungry, you can turn that stone into, into bread. Another instance, he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, you know, if, if, if you jumped off this, this temple pinnacle, your angels will catch you. It's that third instance 
where Satan takes him to see all of the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, all of these are mine, but I'll give them to you if you'll bow down to me. Now, now, now Satan's a liar, isn't he? Satan's a liar. He's been a liar from the very beginning. Jesus said, no. Word of God says, God is the only one that you're going to serve. God is the only one you bow your knee to. But that's Satan. You see, that's the way the world of the flesh and the devil work against us. In John chapter 10, Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd. But along the way, he says this. He says, the the enemy comes only to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Which means that if he kills, steals, and destroys, that leaves us with what? Nothing. It leaves us with nothing. And this is what J- this is what Laban is saying. This is exactly what Jacob is saying to Laban he would have done if God had not intervened. You would have left me with nothing. In effect, then Laban becomes not only a, a type of the world, but he becomes a type of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So this was Laban's attempt then at trying to make himself look good in a bad situation. You ever tried to do that? Don't raise your hand, please. I think sometimes we try to do that. We're in a bad situation, but we try to look good at it. You know, you become apestoso. In other words, you, you, can, you, can, you can smell it, man. It's bad. You try to look good, but it's still a bad situation. But it didn't, you know, it didn't work. It didn't work with Laban. And one thing that Laban did do, he did do this. He, he was obedient to, to God in that he did not touch Jacob. That's a good thing because God will wipe them out. But Laban still had the power and the strength to do that. He had his henchmen with him. They were going after one person, really. They were going to take everything back, but they were going after one person. So Laban proposes... Now, notice, Laban proposes a covenant of blood and peace between the two of them. Now again, how many ulterior motives are we going to find in Laban? Well, here's another one, if you will. He proposes this covenant of blood. And what I mean by that is, when, when it states to us in the scriptures here that, that, he, has, uh, that he wants to have this covenant with, um, uh, with Jacob... They use the word in the Hebrew that means to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. We go back to that time when Abraham and the Lord were, were together and, and God said, you know, let's, we're going to make a covenant. He says, go take these animals and cut them in half and then spread the carcasses apart from each other. Now, this was a common way of doing a covenant in that time. The cutting of the covenant was... Filled with blood, okay? You get, I mean, blood's going to be running all over. So you got the carcasses. And the, the idea was that you were both to go through the, the carcasses. You walk between them. Because your covenant, this was so serious for them, that covenant you're making is to say that if you walk between these carcasses, if you do not keep your side of the covenant, that's what's going to happen to you. You see the seriousness of cutting a covenant. Thank God 
Thank the Lord that when he made that covenant with Abraham, who went between the carcasses? God did. He kept both sides of the covenant for us. As a matter of fact, he's keeping both sides of the covenant for us through Jesus Christ. Who went to the cross? Any of us? Jesus went to the cross. But guess what? We were all there. Because remember, we have to identify with the death of Jesus Christ. That's why we get baptized. Baptism doesn't save us. It doesn't cleanse us. It is us saying, I went to the cross because Jesus went to the cross. I identify with what he did for me. I'm telling the whole world now, I belong to Jesus. Okay? Because he kept the covenant. And he keeps the covenant. That's the beautiful thing about our salvation is God keeps the covenant. Which does not mean I can now go do what I want. No. Can I remind you of the carcasses? <laughs> but we, don't, we won't want to do that. Because our mindset has changed now. Everything is different. So what does, what does Jacob do? Where am I? Okay. There's a covenant now. Uh, Laban wants to have this covenant, right? So, two sacred monuments are set up. They're erected. One is a sacred stone. One single stone, but it's a sacred stone. It's Jacob who does it. Let's look at it. Verse 45. Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He took a stone, one singular stone, which had to have been a good-sized stone, and he set it up as a pillar. Do you know significantly and, 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 in, and in type, that stone represents Jesus Christ. The true stone. The living stone, the cornerstone. This is Jacob doing it. Now, there was another monument, a heap of stones. Look at verse 46. And Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. By the way, the eating uh, uh, by the heap there was something as, as part of the covenant as well. That they had fellowship. They were in agreement with having this covenant being made between them. Now when you eat with people, I hope, you know, you, you always eat with people that you really like. And that there's no major heavy-duty discussions between you against each other or whatnot, because if, if that's the case, then, then you're going to have heartburn and you, you're going to need to get, you know, drink a bottle of, you know, something, because you're going to be sick. We don't like to eat when there's trouble, right? Because then there's heartburn, stomach acid, and who knows what else. No, when we eat, we love to eat with people we love and, and care about and we have fellowship. I mean, that's the picture of the church, isn't it? We get together like we're going to do tonight. Just have a wonderful time worshiping the Lord, but we're first going to eat <laughs> and enjoy that and hopefully have good conversation and good, uh, a good fellowship that way. You see, in the Middle East, you don't eat with people you don't like just for that very reason. Because you get sick. So they ate. It was part of it. But there were too many suspicions. And they didn't have tums in those days. So who knows how they felt. But notice in verse 47 here. I might be getting ahead of myself, but we'll go to verse 47 here in just a second. 
There were two things connected with the second pillar, the heap of witness. There were two things connected with that pillar. Now this is where you really need to listen to me and, and pay close attention. Two things connected with the second pillar. The first one we're going to deal with is the oath. The oath that is taken at, in the time of making the covenant. The oath. Which demonstrated that to Laban. Now this is from Laban's perspective. But the first, first thing was the oath which demonstrated that to Laban this heap of witness was a boundary and it was a guarantee for the future, nothing more. It was a boundary and a guarantee for the future. And I'll explain that in just a moment. A boundary and a guarantee for the future and nothing more. Laban called it Yegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Now I said that that means a heap of witness. It is something to remind you that somebody is watching you. A heap of witness. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. If we can use the words positive and negative, this was not a positive thing. It was somewhat negative. Though I don't like to use positive and negative except in talking about electricity. Therefore, his name was called Galid, and also Mitzpah. Now, I said earlier, Mitzpah is the word that means to watch. And again, this is not really in a kind of a nice way, Mitzpah. It means to watch defensively. It's a, it's a root word for the watchtower that is built to protect what you have in your city. The watchtower looking for the enemies who are coming to distinguish between the enemy and the friend. So he says also Mitzvah, because he said, may the Lord watch Mitzvah between you and me when we are absent one from another. And we think, how nice. As a matter of fact, a lot of people think that's a real nice little statement. Until you read verse 50, that says, If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is with us between you and me. He's got that kind of thing, see? That kind of attitude. He doesn't trust Jacob. So one thing that this heap represented was that Jacob would not treat Rachel and Leah badly now that their father would no longer be present to protect them. Now you know what that is? That is nothing more than a gratuitous insult. It is an insult to Jacob. Laban had no grounds for any such thought. Jacob had always loved Rachel with passion and and he treated Leah with courtesy. The pillar also meant that Jacob would take no more wives, which again was an insult since Jacob had never wanted more wives. The only one he wanted and ever desired was Rachel. And by the way, that Jacob had Leah and the others was Laban's fault, not his. It was all Laban's fault. It was all Laban's doing. Furthermore, to Laban, the pillar meant that he, Laban, would not cross that boundary to annoy Jacob, and that was his oath. But it also put more of the weight upon Jacob, as we'll see here. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. 
There was more putting the weight and the burden upon Jacob than upon himself. But then he says, and notice who it is that's speaking. Laban is invoking the name of God. And he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their fathers, judge between us. But notice the last part of the verse. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now, earlier on he talks about the fear of Isaac. And here the fear of his father Isaac. Simply to say this. He is speaking of his God. That he worships in fear, in awe, in reverence, and respect. Jacob knew how to worship God. Laban did not care to worship God. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain. And he called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. There's some things we'll talk about here in that verse in a moment. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. I don't see anywhere there that he kissed Jacob. That he even said goodbye to Jacob. He said goodbye to his daughters, his grandkids. So Laban called the pillar the heap of witness and Mitzpah. And, and, and then he calls on Jacob's God as though Jacob were the one needing to be watched. And he cried, the Lord watch between me and you and we are absent from one another. And some people have stopped right there. They've stopped reading at this point and they say, what a beautiful gesture. What a beautiful promise. What a lovely statement Laban made. Was it? I'll be honest. Was it a beautiful statement? No, it was a statement of, un, uh, of co- complete sub, sub, yeah, suspicion. But people think, oh, what a nice thing. Let's put it on jewelry. And you know what? They did. The Christian merchandising world hears this uh, and comes up with endearing charms. Necklaces with one half of a broken heart or a broken coin cut in two so that two people in love can wear them well apart from each other. One has one half, the other has the other half. And they think, oh, may the Lord watch between us, you know, uh, uh, when we're this far apart from each other. Folks, this is not a loving, sentimental statement. Because it goes on to read... If you afflict my daughters, or if you take otherwise beside my daughters, God will get you if I don't first. God will get you if I don't. That's what he's saying. It was meant to be a warning to Jacob. And so to Laban, the pillar was a boundary and a guarantee for the future. Now, to understand what I mean by that. It was a guarantee for the future. A guarantee that through all the burden and responsibility, not to mention the stigma of the past, on Jacob. It makes it all too clear that Laban was a spiritual hypocrite. Laban was a spiritual hypocrite. He tries to appear spiritual. 
Even calling on the name of the Lord. But it's all an act to try to save face. And he was acting behind a spiritual mask. And this is the reason why when you read the New Testament... And Jesus talks about the the hypocrite and the the apostles write about the hypocrite. They use that word, as a matter of fact, in the Greek, hypokritos, hypokritos, from which we get the word hypocrite. And it is taken from the the, uh, world of theater and the arts, the masks. We've all seen it. When we go to the theater, there's the the mask of comedy with a smile and the mask of drama with a frown. And this is how they did their plays in those days. The masks, as a matter of fact, were very large masks. They weren't just over the face. You know, they would carry the masks out, uh, you know, to portray different people. But they hid behind a mask. It's the very same idea behind some of the operas that have been written, some great operas, you know. We have these clowns, you know, who, who they have the, the face of, of happiness on the outside, but inside they're, they're all eaten up and torn up because of their love for someone that they'll never have in their lives. Almost anyone can act spiritual during a meeting on a mountaintop experience. But it is how they talk and they walk after that. That's important. It's what happens after church when you have to walk out those doors and live the Christian life in the presence of the world. You know, on a number of occasions, Jesus commented on the hypocrisy of the outwardly religious. For example, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, he said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before man to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. What an interesting thing he says here. He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, as if to receive the applause of men. He says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. When we try to attract the attention of people that we have done something, and we call the news media and say, oh, listen, we're going to be doing this, and we're going to be taking food here. We want you to come bring your camera so everybody can see that it's us doing it. And people call and say, oh, that's a wonderful thing that you're doing. Guess what? That's their reward. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. You want to get people involved, you, you take the cameras out of the equation, or else... You cry out to everybody and say, all of you who are Christians, whoops, all of you who are Christians, all of you who are believers, listen, we have an opportunity here to, to serve our community. Let's go do it and let's quietly do it so that God gets all the glory. Y'all understand that? Now Jesus is talking about hypocrites who have people proclaim, oh, what a wonderful thing that they've done. Well, that's their reward. Then where is that reward? It's here. Where's the reward that you want? I want? We want it in heaven, don't we? He goes on and he says, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret with himself will himself reward you openly. But he doesn't stop there. He goes to a very, more, to a very personal issue when he says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. When they go out to be seen by men, you, by the way, when you go to Israel with us, it's commercial. When you go to Israel with us in March, you, you're going to get to see a little bit of that at the, at the Western Wall, what they call the Wailing Wall. The men praying to be seen. Yes, it actually happens even to this day. It's incredible. Thing. A lot of people are there actually to be praying, to, you know, to be praying alone and quietly, but others kind of sound their own trumpets. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Well, they're going to have their reward, you see. But you, he says to you, us here today, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Laban was trying to get some applause from his family. I'm not as bad as you think I am. I'm trying to cut this covenant here so we can at least settle our differences. But with everything that he does, it's only to put the weight of responsibility on Jacob and not on himself. Now, remember I said that there was a second thing connected to the pillar, and this is the most important one that you need to see today. The second thing is this. There was not only an oath connected to that second pillar, there was an offering. Who was concerned about the oath? Laban. Who's concerned about the offering? Jacob. Notice again in verses 54 and 55. Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain. He called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread, and they stayed all night on the mountain. Some interesting pictures here we could talk about for a long time, but uh, he offers a sacrifice on the mountain because he knows that God is worthy of our sacrifice. God is worthy of our giving of ourselves completely, and whatever it is that we give, we give because it is God who is worthy of it. And then he called his brethren to eat bread. Notice he didn't call anybody else. He called his brethren. Those were on his side. As when we take communion in church month after month, and we share it together because we share a common bond to Christ, to what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing for us, and what Christ will do for us when he comes again. We share that together. And they stayed all night on the mountain. Sometimes we see pictures of Jesus staying on the mountain all night with his disciples. What were they doing? They were praying. So these are just little things that kind of encourage our hearts about Jacob. But then it says, And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. In contrast to Laban, let's talk about that contrast. In contrast to Laban and the oath given by him, the, the offering demonstrated that to Jacob, the pillar was not a boundary as much as it was a blessing. It was not a boundary as much as it was a blessing. To Jacob, it was goodbye to the past rather than a guarantee for the future because he knew that his future was in God's hands. But for them, for him, that pillar was not a boundary. It was a blessing. He was saying goodbye to the past. And folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to make a very clean and complete 
cut from the past, from the, uh, the, the past life that we had in, in, in the world and in the flesh. And we need to live our lives now as new creatures in Christ. As Paul says in 2, Tim, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, uh, 5, verse 17, when he says, You are a new creature in Christ. Behold, all the old things are passed away. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Believer, you are a new creature in Christ. I don't care if you've been a a, a believer for a month, a year, or 10 years, or 15 years, or 20 years, or 50 years. You are a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. All things have become new. I should think we would rejoice in that. (laughs) It's okay, you can rejoice in that. You should, if you want to. Yeah, okay. You just, I know it. You're the mellow crowd today. You're just mellow. Just, oh Lord, he's mellow. <laughs> but we should be excited about that. But here's the thing. Have you said goodbye to the past? Jacob did. He says, that's it. I'm out of Haran, man. I'm going back to the promised land. Through all of the experiences that Jacob struggled with, beginning with the consequences of having been deceitful to his father Isaac and to his brother Esau, as well as those in in Laban's household, all the experiences that he had there for 20 years, what was God doing? God was shaping his character. God was shaping his character. More and more and more, Jacob was taking on the image and the character of Jesus Christ. More and more, he was taking on the character of Christ. And even though the seed had yet to come, it was going to come through Jacob, wasn't it? So in effect, he was taking on the image of of Christ. For some odd reason, though, In the modern evangelical church, we've left this idea of the Lord shaping our character. Considering it a nice option rather than an essential part of our faith. You know, we might even focus heavily on evangelism and personal conversion, which by the way, we should. Uh, Those are things that we should do in the church. But sometimes we do that at the expense of pointing people to the words of the Apostle Paul when Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to His purpose and notice this for whom He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren to be conformed to the image of His Son that is God's goal in our lives He predestined us. He foreknew us and predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now we have to ask the question, is that happening in our lives today? Are we being conformed more and more into the image of Christ? Keep your finger in the book of Romans and go to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 5. Because Paul now says, here, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Do you you see those two things at the end there? You have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. 
We should be concerned about our walk. And we should be concerned about pleasing God. Every day. By our lives. With our lives. Through our lives. In our lives. Reflecting the love of Christ. And pleasing God by faith. Because we please God how? By trusting Him. But then he says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Sanctification. What does it mean? Somebody once said the the very simple definition of sanctification is saint making. God is making you more and more into the saint that he wants you to be. A saint being one who is set apart for Jesus Christ. Did you know that you were set apart for Jesus Christ? You were set apart for the kingdom of God. You were set apart for the word of God. You were set away from the world and set apart into Christ. For a reason. To be used of the Lord. To be a light for God. To be an influence into this dark, in, in this dark world in which we live. So he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should, pos- should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. By the way, sometimes we, we don't do that because we think, well, you know, you know, I want to do this and that to my body. Well, you know what? It's not your body anymore. It belongs to him. You're just a, you're just a steward of it. That's why it says you need to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor because you need to honor what belongs to God. But then it says not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And too often we're becoming more like the world in the church rather than becoming more like Jesus in the church. And that's the problem. The will of God is our sanctification that He is changing us every day by the things that we go through in life. And listen... Turn back to Romans chapter 5, if you will. And I want you to look at this pattern. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep you just a little bit longer. But maybe I'm just doing that so I can keep you safe from eating too much before you come back at 4.30. Okay? All right. So Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we love this, don't we? Oh, we love this. We rejoice in this verse. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should rejoice. Amen? All right, we should rejoice. All right, yeah. Save your applause. Because then he says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, we love God's grace, don't we? God's undeserved faith. We don't deserve it, but He's given it to us. And we rejoice in this. Oh, yes, through His grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes, give us more. Give us more. And so in verse 3 it says, And not only that, he says, But we also glory in tribulations. What you talking about, Lord? What you talking about, Paul? Tribulations? Aren't those the things that hurt? Aren't those the things that... And they're they're painful in this life? Aren't those the things that we, we, we can't understand sometimes that we go through? And we say, Lord, why are we going through this? What did I do to deserve this? That tribulation? How come we stop rejoicing? Que pasó? I thought you were happy. 
Not only that, he says, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Did we not say we live in a world of confrontation? We live in a world of sin? And we're going to have to deal with it every day. But God has said through those tribulations that I know and I've allowed for you to go through, I will produce perseverance in your life and you'll make it. And not only that, perseverance will produce character. And what are we talking about here? Character. being conformed to the image and character of Jesus Christ. The tribulations we go through, if we only look at it from the perspective of of the flesh, we get mad at God. I don't think there's a person in this room who hasn't gotten mad at God at one time or another. We shouldn't. But God can take it, you know. Lord can take it. He, He lets us vent they're vented at God. And you notice that you're still alive when it's done. You better thank God for His patience toward you. He can take it. But then He'll teach you, just like He taught Job. Are you done, Job, talking? It's my turn. Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Where were you? The perseverance that God gives us to deal with the tribulations that we face in this life will produce character, and that character will produce hope. And isn't that what we're rejoicing about earlier anyway? And that hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into the hearts, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now we can rejoice again. Yay! For the very love that has been poured out in our hearts. God's love. God's care. God's concerns for you. Cast your care upon Him because He cares for you. There's not one tribulation, one trial, one affliction, one painful moment that you go through that God isn't aware of. And He said, I'll be with you through it. But I'll build perseverance in you. You'll be able to handle it. And that'll build character in you. And then what I said would happen. You'll be conformed to the image of Christ. That'll take place. What a beautiful thing if we let it happen. Got to close this for the Lord shaping the character of Jacob's heart. The first thing he did was he made Jacob swallow some of his own medicine. We've already studied this part. You reap what you sow. Remember Jacob was, was, was a deceiver? Well, he met the great deceiver when he got to Haran. He, he met Laban, didn't he? And the Bible was very clear. There's a, there's a biblical principle that we, that we studied already. If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. And he said, you need to go through some of this. God allows us to happen, to awaken us to His presence, to awaken us to His concern, to change us. And then secondly, the Lord helped Jacob to see that the real success came from a strength not his own. 
The real success that Jacob was having was not because of his, his own strength. It was the strength that God said, I will have for you because I'll be with you. Do you remember when he first gets to Haran? He's still kind of learning these things at the age of 77. And he gets to Haran and he sees this beautiful Rachel. And, and they tell him, yeah, that's, that's daughter, the daughter of Laban. And, and he sees her and he's, he's just struck by her beauty. And, and, he, and he just does whatever he can. He says, oh, she's going over to the well. Well, I'm going to go move the, the rock for her, you know. So here's this 77-year-old guy goes over there. You know, I'll get that rock for you. I'll get that, you know, move that stone out of the way. And he struggles, you know, to get it. And then he, then he looks 77 after he does that, you know. And then so, uh, you know, well, all due respect to Pastor Tom. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, he's going to turn 78 next week. So I just thought I'd let you know that. But <laughs> wow, yeah. He still, he still acts like he's 18, but you know, praise the Lord. So he had to learn that it isn't his strength. That was his own strength, see, trying to impress Rachel. God says, that's unimpressive. Let me show you what strength is. And the real success came from the strength that God gave him to be the worker that he was, to be the faithful worker that he was, to be the industrious worker that he was. Lastly, the Lord allowed Jacob to retake the test that he failed. I know some of you teachers don't like that, but hey, you better be thankful that God has, has treated you that way. He's given you a retake on, on any test. Now, here's the, here's the important thing. You retake a test, would you please pass it? Because sometimes we take a test and we fail. We fail, and the Lord says, okay, we're going to give you that test again. Then we we fail it again, and then we fail it again. And then we think, well, God's just going to let me fail it all the time. No, He wants you to pass it, because you're not getting the concept, and and because you don't pass it, you're not growing. And what is it that God wants us to do? He wants us to grow in the nurture and admonition of His Word. So he wants us to grow, but don't think that he's giving you these tests so that you keep failing it. No, retake the test so you can learn from it. And say, okay, we passed that one. There's another test on the way. There's another test on the way. So, as for Laban, and we've got to close real quickly here. As for Laban, <clears throat> excuse me, he was a man of the world. He was a man who was a type of the world, the flesh and the devil. And Jacob needed to separate himself from the world, and so he did. Laban, on the other hand, departed, it says, and returned to his place. Now this is the last that we hear of Laban. Going back to Badanaram, as far as we know, he went back to the darkness of his paganism. He went back to, the, to nurse his grievances. And all throughout this whole time, even though he was blessed when, when Jacob was there, now that Jacob was leaving, he wasn't a happy person. He wasn't a happy camper. He probably never smiled after all of this. I don't know that he did or didn't, but he was pretty unhappy. All his family had gone, his daughters were gone, his, his grandkids and, and some of his flock that he thought was his flock, but he had agreed to give those to, to Jacob. And, and so he's not a happy man. So, you know, even if he was just sitting around, he's, you know, hey, Laban, somebody would probably ask him, hey, Laban, are you happy? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. He said, well, why don't you tell your face? Because you say you're happy, but you don't look like it. That's the way a lot of people are in the church today, too. They're grumpy. I, I, what, I don't think we have any of you grumpies here. There, there's no grumpies here, right? Amen. No grumpies here. 
But you know, there's sometimes you go to church, man, there's people grumpy, man, they're all grumpy. They don't like the way they sound. They don't like this. They don't like that. Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Well, let your face know. Because if you love Jesus, then you've got to have joy. And we can deal with all those other things. The important thing is, he went back unchanged. Jacob was changed and changing. Now he's over 100 and he's still changing. And rather than seeking to follow the truth of God's plan as witnessed by Jacob, Laban merely resented and coveted the blessing of God on Jacob. His life constitutes a sober warning to a great host of semi-religious but essentially self-worshipping and self-seeking people today that need to be awakened to the fact that you need to rejoice in the Lord and that the Lord is our portion, not the things of this world. That's what I want to leave with you here today. Having now come to faith in Jesus Christ, who is your portion? Because Rachel and Leah had been wrong in thinking that their father Laban was still to be seen as their portion of inheritance. Jacob was now their portion. As for us, Jesus is our portion. Let let me leave you with with Psalm 16, verses 5 through 9 and verse 11 as well. uh, David says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. How simple that is. But David said it best. You, Lord, are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my life. You maintain all of my life. Even the parts of my life that I don't even see yet because it hasn't happened. You maintain it. And he says, the lines have fallen on me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. You know, David went through a lot of struggles too. And yet he realized that if God is in control and we trust God through all of the struggles and circumstances of our life, eventually what we will see is that the lines will fall on pleasant places because we wait for God to have His will done in our lives so that we can rejoice and say, God has done this for good. And then, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And that's counsel that comes directly from the Lord. And for us, it comes directly from His Word. How much time are we spending in His Word and reflecting in the love of Jesus toward us that we want to spend more time in God's Word that even at night, He'll instruct us and we'll think about things in the, in, in the, even with our head on, on the pillow and, and we think of a verse of Scripture. We said, man, the Lord taught me that today. And, and, and now he made it clear to me that he speaks to me at night and in the day when I come and when I go, when I enter and when I leave. And then he says, I've set the Lord always before me. My question to you is, are you setting the Lord before you every day of your life? Are you setting the Lord before you? Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Can you imagine what a beautiful picture of it is? Here you are and God's right there by your right hand. All right. I'm not going to be moved then in this world by the world of flesh and the devil. I will stand here strengthened by his presence with me. And then he says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Verse 10 is a, is a prophecy about Jesus uh, being buried and then resurrecting. And then in verse 11, it says, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here he is. God's at our right hand, but the pleasures of God are in his right hand. So we go to his right hand and we say, oh, the pleasures of God. What a wonderful thing it is. And then he, says, then he comes over here and says, well, I'm at your right hand and, 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 and I'm, I'm going to be with you and my presence is with you. And we say, praise the Lord, but his pleasures are forevermore and they're in his right hand. So we go to his right hand and if I keep doing it, I'm going to fall down. So y'all understand the point? 
is God is with us. And we need to, ref- we, we need to understand that and we need to reflect that in our lives today because God is changing our character, shaping it, molding it more and more into the image of Christ. And I want you to appreciate and enjoy the pleasures of God forevermore. They're available to those who love Jesus. Would you love Him? Do you love Him? Praise the Lord. And will you love me for keeping you this long? Let's all stand. Let's stand.